Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Well, ladies, it feels like it's been a year, but it's only been... Four weeks since we had a Victory Tuesday around here. Woo, round of applause. Yes, from November 26th until now. January 2nd, 2024, we went without a victory. But you know what? The Jaguars took care of business on Sunday at Everbank Field, Everbank Stadium. It felt so good, I think. Mia, I'll start with you. Because even without Trevor Lawrence, the offense seemed to be fairly efficient. Yes, it got off to just field goals, but you know what? They were actually going for, or instead of going for it, they were kicking field goals. Those field goals were made, so those were all wins. (laughs) You stuck to the game plan of running the football. That certainly worked out for you. And the defense played really well, got the shutout. I thought overall it was a great day. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of folks out there who, you know, to some degree are correct in assessing it as you played the worst team in the league. This was the ideal bounce back game if there ever was one. For sure. And I agree. There, There is certainly a school of thought that is accurate in saying that. But I think this team, and I asked it of so many players in the locker room last week, and it proved true. And I mean, we'll really see if it proved true this week. This team just needed a win. It didn't matter what it looked like. As long as they got a win, the entire narrative surrounding this team would change. And the sentiment and how they feel about themselves, that would also change. Now, of course, they will, I'm sure, tell you that their faith never wavered, and I'm sure it didn't. But in terms of the bigger picture conversations, Right back to where we were a month ago, although obviously I think everyone would have liked to have wrapped up the division at this point. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, hey, listen, seed. you win, you're, you're, you're into the playoffs, anybody's got a shot because the AFC is as open as it's ever been, that conversation is back by virtue of any type of win, but especially a shutout victory. Yeah, I think that the Jags did what they needed to do and they knew they needed to win this game. Uh, I guess it's not a need because you still have the chance this weekend to get the AFC South and make it into the playoffs. It is a little extra things you may have to do if you don't win, but we'll just we'll look at that in a little bit. But they knew they needed to win this game, not only for themselves to be like, hey, we're, we can still do some things pretty well. Uh, there was a, a streak of games that weren't so well, but the run game I think was a big thing to be able to see come back because that's something that I think a lot of people have been shouting about. Like, why are we not being – like, why can't we run the ball at all? And we were pointing to things with the offensive line and other things going on. Obviously, Cam comes back, and something we talked about last week, Lauren, when you were out, was just how much Cam changes the offensive line and not just in the aspect of being better but just has that little extra fire when Cam Robinson's out there, and you could see that already – on Sunday. So I, I think just little things like that finally started clicking. And yes, it's against a very bad Carolina team and a very bad uh, rush defense in Carolina team, a bad offensive line. But it's you needed that. You needed to say, hey, we are not the Carolina Panthers. We're not one of these teams to lo- who loses teams to teams like this. And CJ Beathard, you do enough. Like you don't make a t- you don't make mistakes. Uh, you're not turning the ball over. There's not a ton of penalties, and all of those things are the recipe for a win when you are playing a team like Carolina. We don't usually do that. Just happen on helmets and heels. But uh, since we're on the subject of how miserable the Carolina Panthers are, a bit of breaking news. Oh, thank you, JJ. Fantastic. The NFL has fined Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper. Wait for it. Wait for it. for throwing a drink at fans during Sunday's loss to the Jaguars. Uh, As I just tweeted, that's the equivalent of a gas station cup of coffee for David Tepper. So I'm not really sure, um, you know, exactly 
what yeah. sort of message the NFL is sending now. It's Sorry. the embarrassment of the video being out there. Yeah. That's right. what I think costs him more than the 300000 He also And the NFL acknowledging it's not. It's bad. Like, right. Don't do something. Also, he, that's not much different than what the actual drink price is. Not <laughs> wrong either, JJ. Well said. Um, here's the official statement from Tepper, quote, which, uh, by the way, took about 48 hours because yeah. uh, there were plenty of Panthers writers in the press box Sunday night, literally 48 hours ago, trying to get a statement from the organization to no avail. I am deeply passionate about this team and regret my behavior on Sunday. I should have let NFL stadium security handle any issues that arose. I respect the NFL's code of conduct and accept the league's discipline for my behavior. AKA I let that one fan and fans in general get the best of me because I'm a terrible owner. That's what the NFL should have done is say, you know what, David Tepper, you're not fit for being an NFL owner. And so we're going to take the franchise from you. But obviously they were not going to do that. And yes, drink prices are expensive. But something tells me since he was in a suite, uh, those were all free drinks. And thank you to Charles McDonald of uh, Yahoo Sports for doing the heavy lifting for us. Um, David Tepper is worth $20.6 billion. $20.6 billion. Billion. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Well, at least the 300000 will go to charity, so people, that, one of the NFL charities, so people will benefit from his drink throwing and <laughs> Thanks, we'll, we can move on. I do think, as far as the nitty-gritty of the game, the only mistake C.J. Beathard really made, in my opinion, is when he wouldn't slide on that one run. It's like, yes, you're doing great, yeah. but you are now like pretty much this franchise's quarterback for yeah. this game. Like Matt Barkley just got here. You can't go putting your body on the line. Um, Lauren, I'm, I know this isn't great radio, um, <laughs> but for those of you who are watching on YouTube, uh, I am going to pull up for you, and you can search it yourselves. Search C.J. Beathard, Iowa, Indiana, um, and enjoy as on second and goal from the seven-yard line, C.J. Beathard, wait for it, wait for it, dives, flips over two different defenders and into the end zone. Which, that's fine when you're playing, who was that against? Indiana. Indiana. Okay, yeah, that's Indiana. <laughs> Michael Penix was not there at that point. He was the, there a while ago, but not then. The Carolina Panthers, I mean, it is still an NFL team, and they're going to smack you. And so yeah. that was my only uh, concern is that then, of course, he had to go in the medical tent. I believe he was checked for a concussion and was fine. And, you know, but Matt Barkley still had to come in for a snap. Like, it's like, just we just need you to slide. Yeah. You know, that was my only thing. But so overall, are, it was a clean game. There are quarterbacks that definitely struggle with that. Like, the aspect of the actual physicality yes. of doing it, but also making their mind be like, okay, slide in this situation. Right. It's, so I played soccer like Mia did. I never learned to slide tackle. I played defense, like, mm-hmm. my whole career. I never learned to slide tackle. If I couldn't just tackle you standing straight up, I wasn't getting the ball out. And so I understand the lack of being able to slide. But by the way, go hang out with some baseball players one day and they'll teach you how to slide. But I, and then the, oh, the other thing was when the ball we thought at the time was a fumble with Travis Etienne trying to reach over the goal line. It ended up obviously the call being reversed and and Travis got his second rushing touchdown. But when the ball was out, CJ Beathard also like went for the ball with his entire body. And it was like, oh my, I'm cringing here. Like, (laughs) This is not the game to do that, but no. it'll be interesting to see when Doug meets with the media later this week and and potentially if Trevor meets with the media tomorrow, mm-hmm. is he starting? Is he able to play? Is he able to practice? I, I think the biggest question surrounding last week was Doug saying he expected Trevor to practice, but then the report from Albert Breer saying that Trevor told C.J. Beathard earlier in the week, I'm not going to be able to play this week. Like, yeah. at what point, why did Doug think that Trevor was going to be able to play? We don't, I don't think we'll know those answers. Well, and it was weird, too, because I even made the comment to Mia. They were reporting the whole day that Trevor was limited in practice and 
you know, he wasn't throwing that day, but he was still participating. And then Jack sent out the injury report and it was did not practice. So it was kind of funky all week long. Um, I feel like it was this weird line of like, I, I, and this is just me assuming, mm-hmm. Je- Trevor wanted to. And they were like, nah, like, let's not, let's take it easy. And it kind of got to that point where he was like, maybe you're right. Maybe I should not because my shoulder is clearly, whether it's super painful or he wasn't able to do the throwing motions that he needed to. And I think they kind of figured they could win this game without Trevor. Well, I wanted to see a Mia in like a bubble suit standing along those Clemson sidelines at the Gator Bowl. Like, don't let someone hit you on the sidelines, please. (laughs) Well, that was the weirdest thing. It was happening in real time on XL Primetime because we were on 3-6 to last Friday. And we get the injury report at 4 o'clock just as we're seeing Trevor with the victorious Clemson team on the television. And there it is on the injury report. And it it was very surreal in real time to be like, wait, but he was just... He's there. And Doug said he'd be – and so it was very hard to wrap our heads around because there was no availability and no open practice on Friday, so no one had any idea. And that's the thing, I think, with a shoulder injury specifically, that's one where they can't necessarily test it. If I mean, if he can't really lift his arm Mm -hmm. so much, like then they are going to wait till the next day and wait till the next day. And so in the end, I think it worked out perfectly as far as Trevor didn't need to play in the game. The Jags won, won in convincing fashion. And then, like I said, we'll see about this Sunday – at the Titans, Jaguars uh, go to Nashville. Game kicks off at 1 o'clock. I have no idea at this point in time who's going to play. Normally, with every other injury leading up to this one, I was like, he's playing. He's yeah. playing. And then last week, the way everything went, like we just talked about it, now it's like, I have no idea. Yeah. No, I, I truly don't. Like, Mike Dempsey asked Logs and I, uh, you know, which of the injured, hurt players we thought would play. And we both, like, ran through, like, Ezra Cleveland, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, because I think that's also a very fascinating situation right now. And he goes, yeah, but you didn't say 16. And I was like, yeah, because I honestly don't know. Like, the fact that now we're at this stage where he's meeting with the media but then still not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Doug said there was no setback. And the staff, from what we know, has said there was no setback. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's anybody's guess at this point. Um, I think that what's so difficult to, you know, kind of deal with is the reality of, look, this, this Titans team is coached by Mike Vrabel. Derrick Henry is their running back. They're always going to be a tough out. Coupled with, let's be real, did you see their performance last week? They're thinking about Cabo. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to trot Trevor out there, risk further injury, and then you make the postseason, and now you don't have him in the postseason at all? Yeah. And that's the hard part because it's, well, you can't make the postseason Post-season unless and- <laughs> you win. Right. And so, yeah, that'll, those will be, I think, the fascinating conversations that they have within the building. And then we'll get to be privy to some of those uh, as far as what they say to the media. There's a lot more to get into when it comes to this game. I want to talk about, of course, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. I want to talk a little bit more about C.J. Beathard and the really good things I thought that happened with the offense. So we will break that all down. We will also get to the AFC South standings when we return, as well as our impact players, the injury report. We have so much to do on this Victory Tuesday. You're listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tara Outlet on 10 XL 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. We continue our Victory Tuesday on this lovely Jacksonville chilly evening. All right, I want to get to Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker. Roy Robertson Harris, shout out to him. He got the first sack of the game. And then Josh Allen and Trayvon played super well. And obviously, Josh became the single season sack leader here in Jacksonville. And that was super fun to watch and, and great for the home crowd who hasn't had the best of, mm-hmm. of home games this season. But I thought it was 
really great that Mike Caldwell analyzed the Panthers' offensive line and said the interior is not as good as the Mm -hmm. tackles. So we're going to line up Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen inside instead of outside and take advantage of the mismatch. Kind of sounds like what the Niners and Steve Wilkes did against the Jaguars. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that, I think, can happen again, by the way, a sneak peek to this or sneak preview for this upcoming game against the Titans. I think that can happen against them too. I mean, their entire offensive line has had issues, yeah. but I think especially on the interior, they are struggling. So let's see if that ends up happening again. And then as far as CJ Beathard, I will say for somebody who hasn't had that many reps, it did look like he was really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I do think the offensive line played a little bit better. It was nice to see the Jaguars had the better offensive line of the two teams. Yeah. I don't know the last time we could have said that <laughs> yeah. the Jaguars had the better offensive line of the teams in the game. But I thought he looked really comfortable. So I thought that was a great job by Press Taylor, by Doug Peterson, Mike McCoy, all the guys involved in the game planning to make sure that C.J. Beathard was able to step in and play a pretty good game. And I would think that part of his success, at least in the first half, has to be due to the fact that they actually committed to running the ball. Yes. Um, C.J. dropped back six times compared to nine running plays in the first quarter, mm-hmm. got away from it a little bit in the second quarter, and then coming out of halftime, it was very clear that the memo was run the ball. Travis Etienne is probably your best player on the field, not named Evan Ingram at this current juncture at least. Yeah, I would say On so. offense, give him the ball. And there's plenty of folks I saw online that are like, well, he rushed for 102 yards, but 62 of them were on one play. But the 62-yarder only exists because they kept grinding. They kept trying mm-hmm. to chip away, chip away, chip until one breaks. Yeah. That's how it works. That's what I was about to say. You can't just give up because it doesn't work for a few times. And I know it's, it starts to get frustrating because when you are trying to, especially on those short you you know third and twos and if you're not getting the, you're not converting those short yardage downs you start getting a little frustrated and maybe you feel like you need to abandon it but then that just makes you so one-dimensional and once you're one-dimensional teams can figure out figure you out so easily and I think another thing when it comes to Carolina is I mean the Jags obviously know the last few weeks for them injury wise has been an absolute mess but uh, same with Carolina. On their on both trenches have been kind of struggling this year. Offensively, obviously, uh, both Icky Aquano and Taylor Horton were battling injuries all week, and that's the two best players on their offensive line. So when you look at that, and then Brian Burns has just not had the year a lot of people thought, and which is odd too because it's a contract year for him, and I think he only has six sacks and then one this week, so maybe seven sacks on the season, and that's not like him. I don't know if that's frustrating. They they sold everything else this offseason and kind of left him alone out there, and maybe that's a part of it. Frankie Lubo's had a pretty good season, but he's just kind of, he's one of those guys that makes a lot of tackles, not necessarily getting to the quarterback. So I do think it helped that up front on both sides, the Jags were finally able to do what they feel like they needed to do for a while. And it also well, helped that Eddie Pinheiro got hurt during pregame warm-ups. Which was a very strange thing. Like The whole situation was so strange. We didn't know about that until during the game. And in the press box, they didn't even announce his injury until after halftime. It's like, really? well, you clearly knew about it because they went, they started going for it on fourth down immediately. And yeah. then Tabor tried to say post-game that if they had gotten within 25 yards, he still probably could kick a field goal. But he couldn't kick off. It just, it but they was were very in that opening drive. I think they it would have been like a thirty yarder. Yeah. So it literally was a firm twenty five <laughs> yards. It's like no field. more, not twenty six. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, you, everybody has to know their limits, right? <laughs> I think big picture, the reason the Jaguars stuck with the run, and the reason, for instance, Brian Burns hasn't had the season, 
it has so much to do with do you have the lead? Yeah. The Jaguars were confident that it, once they got to nine points, I think insurmountable. The lead, the Panthers weren't scoring. Yeah. I mean, maybe in garbage time, and, and they certainly got close, but they weren't. I think the Jaguars were confident their defense was not going to allow the Panthers to get more than probably seven points. Yeah, and so you can stick with the run when you have a lead and you feel mm-hmm. good about it. And oh, by the way, you're not going to get to the quarterback as often when your team doesn't have the lead. And that's where the Jaguars have been the last four games yeah. in that losing streak is it's a lot harder to tee off against the quarterback when you're down mm-hmm. and they can the other team can run the ball. And that's where we saw once the Jaguars were able to build that lead, yes, absolutely, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker could have a day. I wondered if Kalevon Chason would get in there. Yeah. Well, I honestly was surprised he didn't. I don't I'm like check now like what he ended up with because Yeah, I mean, probably not that many snaps. But yeah. overall it I mean and not Smoot, even tackles, Smoot not was even. upset. I, I saw you talk to Smoot post game Mia. He was upset that the the full sack went to Trayvon. He didn't get half a sack, but he certainly got in on the Yeah, action. I thought it should have been half too. Um, I thought it was but, half and half, but that's okay. Uh Chason did not make the box score, sadly. No, I know he was out there. He was he, he was, was out he was out there, there running around. around. Yeah. In the but... words of LaVisca Chenault, <laughs> Carolina Panthers great. I'm just out there running around. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay, so Jamal St. Cyr tweeted this stat out. I thought it was really good about Josh Allen. So he's had three sacks in weeks one, four, and seventeen, and then he had two and a half sacks in week twelve. He's the second player since nineteen eighty two with at least two and a half sacks in four games in a season. The only other player, Lawrence Taylor in 1986. Wow. Mm. So we know Josh Allen joined elite company, certainly as far as Jaguars mm-hmm. record books, uh, beating Clay's Cable for that franchise record as far as sack leader in a single season. But overall, he joins just really elite company. And, and Prisco also noted he doesn't get enough mention for defensive player of the year. Not only does he have the 16 and a half sacks where he's half away from the league lead, but he also has 44 pressures. So he, like you've said, Mia, he bet on himself this offseason, and it's certainly paying off. I don't know what he's going to get paid, but he's going to get paid a lot of money. Yes, and I'm not sure if it'll be on the tag, if it'll be an extension. It should be an extension, in my opinion, yep, especially absolutely. if the message from the front office is we want to retain elite talent. Well, you have elite talent. Retain it. Um, yeah, so it'll be very curious. I think the contract negotiations will be a fascinating process because when you think about it, outside of Cam Robinson – who is the only other like big name, quote unquote, in-house guy that the Jaguars have drafted, developed, and now is eligible for a second contract? Like mm-hmm. y- you could say Smoot, but obviously it's not at this upper echelon level. No. Um, obviously, if you want to talk about signings, you can talk about Evan Ingram and the second deal that he got. Yeah. But that was a guy that they signed in free agency. Ditto to the extension with Roy Robertson Harris. I I, I I guess like. Devon Hamilton, but even then, I think it's like the 11th highest for a nose tackle in the NFL. So, like, this is going to be very telling how this negotiation goes in terms of continuing that narrative of we want to reward our own guys versus we're going to also play hardball with our own guys. Yeah, and and there has to be – there has to be at some point that you – that teams, our players outside of Jacksonville start to say, hey, you know, you can go to Jacksonville and play well and they'll give you contracts because I mentioned it a few times, Jacksonville has on the lower end of second. Granted, some of that's because drafts have been terrible and you haven't wanted to give guys second contracts. 
But some of that also is they've lost guys because they weren't paying them what other teams would pay them. And I said it when the Bears signed Montez Sweat that I figured his contract, Josh Allen will get something similar to what he got, which is four-year 98. And I think it will sit around that range. He had $72 million guaranteed. So I, I figured at that time, and that was before we're even seeing these final numbers. So it honestly That's might even thing. shoot up beyond that. Yeah, and exactly. Sweat's having a really good season too. But it, it before that, it was he was looking at six sacks in the first half of the season. And I think a lot of people were kind of questioning what that contract would look like so I could see Josh Allen's even being north of that honestly yeah I would think that too and by the way like a guy Jawan Taylor he's a guy you you drafted and certainly developed and then you lost out on the bidding yeah. war as far as he goes so I don't know that that should hurt or go against the Jaguars all right let's get to our impact players that we picked against the Panthers and of course Taylor picked Panthers players that would have an impact against the Jags I picked the entire offensive line I feel good about the pick uh, and also, Mia, you chose Cam Robinson, who obviously was able to return. I do think the offensive line played well. I don't know that we can be that excited about it in comparison to potentially playing the Browns, for instance, in two weeks and, and what they're going to bring to the table. Potentially, you got to handle the Titans first. But, but yes, yes, yeah. And I'm I'm only saying that because the Titans don't have Jeffrey Simmons. So I don't. I think the Titans will be in the same kind of category as the Panthers as far yeah. as the, the defensive uh, pass rush, but I think the the offensive line played better than it has, and I do think a lot of thanks goes to Cam Robinson. Yeah, but what's most fascinating, and I asked Doug about this yesterday too, is that I think Cam brings juice mm -hmm. and certainly draws the attention of the opposition, given that, you know, maybe they thought he had rust. That's what Coach Campo suggested earlier today. The fact that the Panthers line Brian Burns, who always lines up on the right tackle, they lined him up on Cam, which was mm -hmm. interesting. So if nothing else, he diverted attention away from Anton. But the majority of the run plays and the passing plays, for what it's worth, if you saw the plot chart of C.J. Beathard's throws, went to the right side. And so Doug said part of that has to deal with sealing the back end, and some of it was help from tight ends that they put extra help on that right side. Yeah, But, I mean, there was definitely a little bit of that too, but that's what was so interesting to me is I think the presence of Cam Robinson helped elevate Anton Harrison and had helped him yeah. have arguably his best game of the season – well, and that was coming off of a back injury. Yeah, because you put your best defensive player against Cam. So now you're 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 not wanting to go on that side anyways. You're you're confident that Cam's able to handle Brian Burns, but you don't want to put too much on that side and I think it did help because it took a lot of attention away from the right side of the line. But Anton's also been playing fantastic this year. So I think that What it does is, it say? It's like a statement. Yeah. Like the opposition was like, "Yeah, we'd rather take our chances with a guy coming off IR than the first than the first I mean, round rookie." I think that makes sense because they do think, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna need a little time to get back into the swing of things but I also think Brandon Sheriff played a lot better yep, and, that, and that also helps Anton look good yeah uh, the person though who had the best pick as far as the Jaguars are concerned JJ went with Travis Etienne mm -hmm. yes not just the 62 yarder but also that rushing touchdown uh, so two rushing touchdowns in the game and overall I think yeah he if I was picking a player to get the game ball I would have given it to Travis Etienne and JJ even though Josh also picked well. Trayvon Walker he did also pick Trayvon Walker because he always does and Trayvon also had a great game with two sacks so good job JJ uh, and then as far as defensively I went with Darius Williams covering uh, DJ Chark Adam Thielen I almost said Adam Chark and I was like I don't know who that is <laughs> Uh, Darius Williams against the Panthers. I got this from John Shipley. Had one catch allowed on four targets for minus four yards. So he played really, really well. I also, you also had Darius, Darius Williams. Williams so. um, and I Great saw more than one Jaguar fan, number one, uh, commenting about DJ Chark dropping uh, wide open passes. Uh, where have I seen that before? Sad. I love DJ Chark. He's such a nice guy. I also guy. think that's partially on the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. I don't think he was putting the ball exactly where it needed to go. Yeah. Um, Bryce Young, that yeah. is. Yeah, and also just heart-wrenching to see Bryce Young struggle because I really thought he would 
he would be the he would be the exception to the small quarterback rule. <laughs> but at one point during the game, Gus Logue sits next to me in the in the press box, goes, look, and points. And you literally see Bryce Young having to jump to see over the offensive line and to see what the defense looked. And I just I was I, my heart breaks. Um, but yes, uh, definitely the chark factor. But also let's talk about um, not to pile on a dead horse here, um, but the Panthers before they released a statement tonight with regards to David Tepper, mm-hmm. real quick to drop that Adam Thielen 1,000-yard receiving video earlier yeah. this afternoon. But, hey, listen. It's two they have in, to give their fans something. Two in season. They need something. Yeah, yeah the, the Titans I saw also were, you know, excited because DeAndre Hopkins hit 1,000 yards and Derrick Henry hit 1,000 yards. So yeah. you do have to celebrate those little yeah. moments, it's impressive. those milestones. We've been even there. Even in a losing right. season. <laughs> well, that's what's <laughs> impressive is we've been there in this in this town. And the years that we've been there, I mean, James Robinson in the one-win season came up just shy of 1,000 yards. In the six-win season prior, DJ Chark and Leonard Fournette both had 1,000 yards. But for a two-win team... Oh, how bad we've been. Yeah, I know. For a two-win <laughs> team to have a 1,000-yard receiver is pretty impressive. And ditto to a five-win team having a 1,000-yard receiver and a 1,000-yard running back. Absolutely. All right, Taylor went with Adam Thielen and Frankie Lubu. Yes. I think, honestly, Jags were able to pretty much handle both of them. I think Lubu was close to Beathard one time. Um, he had a few tackles, but he got nothing hurt crazy. Too. Yeah, he did get hurt. And Thielen, everyone on their team, I got, felt like got hurt at one point in time. There was a moment where I was like, another one? What in the world? I know. Um, but I feel like that's happened to so many teams the Jags have played this year. But yeah, and then um, I think Thielen. I mean, Thielen didn't do much at all under forty yards. So we mentioned a lot of that is on what Darius Williams and they were able to do in the secondary, uh, which I think is pretty easy when Thielen's a big dude and he's had games that could look a little intimidating, but there's also times where I feel like he's one of those guys, if you figure him out, you can figure him out. And that's kind of what happened. Yeah, I will say it did. It reminded me, honestly, of the game. Was it against the Ravens when the Jaguars kept losing players or was it one of the other losses? It it was been within the last few weeks yeah. where it felt like there were so many. Yeah, it was the Ravens. So many players going down. Uh, all right, let's pick our impact players against the Titans. I will go with Calvin Ridley on offense because the last time the Jaguars played the Titans, he had over 100 yards, and I think whether it's Beathard or Trevor, I think they're going to find him, and the Titans' secondary is not great. And then I will go Josh Allen on defense because he already had a monster game this past week, but I think also he's going to be able to tee it up against whether it's Will Levis or Ryan Tannehill because that Titans' offensive line is pretty woeful. Mia, who you got? I'm going with a offensive line corner combination once again. Okay. I will go with Brandon Scherf because I need to see two games in a row of this team leaning into the run game. I've said this about Tank Bigsby as a running back, and I believe it's true about offensive linemen as well. There's some players that once you quote-unquote lather them up and string a couple running plays together, that's where you start seeing the juice. And I think that if you can do that again, that'll help Scherf, that'll elevate his game, and it helps the entire operation. I also have Tyson Campbell, who, as our good friend Rick Ballou, who we'll talk to in a little bit, pointed out, um, somehow, someway, Pro Football Focus had him at like a 58.3 grade. Um, The eye test says differently. I thought it was a good game for him, and yes, you can – Talk about the level of competition all you want. The reality is it was against another NFL team, and it was a step in the right direction for a guy who hasn't looked healthy since he came back from that quad injury. Yeah, I think those are two good ones. All right, JJ, I know you have Trayvon Walker defensively. Who you got offensively? Zay. Ooh. I hope we'll be back this week. I'm assuming he is by the way that they're talking about it. But, yeah, stretch the field. Agnew's not there, obviously, yeah, yeah, out for the rest hurts. of the year. So big game for Zay. Uh, and Trevor. Uh, yeah, Trevor's going to play. You think he's going to play? Yes. Okay. 
Well, and, and then Christian Kirk now, too, potentially opening the 21-day window starting tomorrow. That would be great news if everybody can be healthy by the time the Jaguars host a playoff game because I'm going to think positively. All right, <laughs> Taylor, who you got on the Titans? Uh, offensively, I'll go the player that I always go just because Derrick Henry <laughs> yep. is Derrick Henry. Um, I think there's other – I think the, the Jags defensive backs to me have just been so much fun. There's been a couple games that have felt a little off, but for the most part, they've felt like the most consistent part. And so I do think that they may still try to run the ball, especially Ryan Tannehill's only been back a couple games, so he's still – you can tell a little bit of rust there with him. Uh, but you just mentioned he'd still broke a thousand yards. It's a bad season for Derrick Henry, and he still is breaking a thousand yards because that's just who he is. He also has the fifth most rushing touchdowns in the league too. It, he'll find it when he needs to. So, and it's kind of a little revenge game for the Titans too after last year. So we'll see how that goes. Agreed. Offensively, Derrick Henry, and then um, defensively, I'm actually going to pick two because I couldn't figure out which way I wanted to go with this one. Uh, the first time we played them, I had this Danico Autry. Uh, he just has continued to have a pretty solid season. 11 and a half sacks, 12 tackles for loss, three forced fumbles this year. Um, Josh Allen, Trayvon, and Will Anderson are the only – are the and Autry are the four top leaders in the AFC when it comes to pressure. So he's really good at creating All from the pressures. AFC South, too. That, well, that in the AFC oh, South, the those AFC are the South. four leaders okay. in the AFC South. And then I'm going to do also linebacker Aziz uh, Alshire – because he also, he has the six most tackles in the league, eight for loss. He has a couple sacks, four passes defended. Um, when the Jags played him last time, he had a couple big tackles for loss on, on short downs and, I mean, on short yardage downs. So I think those two players, if you're able pretty much to wrap them up or be able to slow them down, then you'll be okay offensively. I think, yeah, I think those are good choices. It's It feels like that original Jags or that first Jags Titans game not the original that was a long time ago from <laughs> November 19th doesn't that feel like forever so long ago, ago when the Jags won 34-14 yes it feels like, like forever everything as far as both teams everything was going in such a different trajectory but what's funny is Leon has said this a couple of times at that point the season was flying by yeah. the season didn't feel like man it's been a long season until the four-game losing streak. Mm -hmm. Up until then, I felt like we were just cruising right along. Yeah. Couldn't have even told you it was November. I was like, oh, really? It's November? Oh, so true, yeah. Who would have thought? Well, there was, because even today when I was looking, I was like, when did we, when was it that we played? And I looked at the calendar, and I was like, oh, why did it feel like we played them in, like, week two? Because <laughs> <laughs> it felt so long ago. This whole season, because of all of the different undulations of it, I mean, because mm -hmm. you started off with the two losses, you know, back-to-back, yeah. -back, the Chiefs and the Texans, and then the Jags go overseas, and then it's all sunshine and roses, and then come back, and then the four-game losing streak, and then now potentially still back in the playoffs. I mean, it's it's been a one of those seasons where it's it's been quite the roller coaster, but last year was too, so I yeah. feel like this team is, is kind of used to that. All right, on the other side, we will get to our injury report, and we've got also Taylor to take us around the NFL. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tarotlet on 10 to XL and 82.5 FM. Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans. Mio, Brian, Taylor, Dahl, Digio, Selva, I'm Lauren Brooks with you until 8 o'clock tonight. Talking all things Jaguars in the NFL and college football as well. All right, JJ just mentioned Jamal Agnew gone for the season. Mio, what's the rest when it comes to the Jaguars injuries? The personal injury attorneys of Farah and Farah present this injury update. Farah and Farah. Jacksonville. Exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, that was certainly the headliner coming out of Doug Peterson's availability on Monday. Jamal Agnew done for the season with a fracture in his lower left leg. Obviously, it's a huge blow to the Jaguars special teams. And it's also a guy who just came back three mm -hmm. weeks ago 
off of IR, and now he is lost for the season. Such um, a bummer. I know. Final really year of his contract him. as well here in Duval. So our, all of our thoughts, prayers, what you want to call it with Ags as he recovers from that injury. Um, to some of the other big names and the notable mentions from Doug yesterday, Doug Peterson said that there is the potential to activate Christian Kirk's 21-day practice window tomorrow when the Jaguars hit the practice field again. Christian Kirk suffered a groin-slash-core muscle injury on December 4th. Doug says he's doing well. Would not say if he'll play on Sunday. Said that, you know, there's potential for it. For me, it's just so fascinating because every medical professional I feel like we've had on 1010XL who's spoken nationally, I mean, good morning football was comparing Christian Kirk's injury to Cam Hayward's, which took seven weeks. Mm -hmm. Everyone basically said best-case scenario is he would be available for the second round or third round of the playoffs. This would be unprecedented. Again, I'm not a doctor. I could just tell you what the doctors have said. Mm -hmm. You guys tell me. Is this like just Doug's gamesmanship? Or I mean, it is it's early, real? but the 21-day window means obviously they would have the three weeks. So I yeah. think it could be a little bit of gamesmanship that we might have Christian Kirk, but it also could be he doesn't play for a couple weeks. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the numbers I saw was around six weeks. Mm -hmm. So if he, let's say he, the window's open, he misses this week, so that's five weeks, and then you head into the playoffs. But it is, it is obviously interesting because you did see a lot of people were like, man, it may be late January. It could be you know six weeks to late January to Super Bowl if they made the Super Bowl was like a lot of the chatter. But, I mean, this – we were hearing Trevor was going because of his ankle at one point there was no way he could possibly play. And then that changed. So. Speaking of Trevor, he is progressing well per Doug Peterson, and we will see what his limitations are at practice tomorrow. So stay tuned on that front. Zay Jones expected to potentially get more practice time and potentially play against the Titans after missing his second straight game with a hamstring injury. Some other notes from the Jaguars injury report. Great to see Andre Sisco, Cam Robinson, Bretton Strange, Tyson Campbell, all those guys who have been banged up the last few weeks to see them back out there and performing at full go. The two that we did not see in a full capacity, Ezra Cleveland and Walker Little, um, both, Doug Peterson said, just simply put, needed the rest. They were dressed for Sunday's game, so they could have played if they needed to. Walker Little came in for Cam Robinson after he was ejected. But obviously, I think that it was the best-case scenario that you were playing a Panthers team, that you mm -hmm. dominated them, you were up 26 nothing. that those two guys could get a little bit of rest. Tyler Shatley held up well at left guard because I just don't think they've been playing at anywhere near 100% health the last few weeks. Yeah, No, I don't think so either. And, and I'm sure, you know, Walker Little, it wasn't ideal for him to have to come in, but he, I thought he played fine. Uh, what was your favorite part of the game? Was it Travis Etienne's? Scamper down the sidelines where Parker Washington, yes, almost has like to like push throw out, out of the way. way. Yeah, push out of his way. Or Cam Robinson's ejection, helmet throw going 20 yards. Doug Peterson saying yesterday <laughs> might have been the longest helmet throw he's ever seen. And then blowing a kiss to the fans. Which one was y'all's favorite? The blowing the kiss to the fans. I actually didn't see it um, because I was in the tunnel already. So I watched it on TV and then I actually watched Cam walk into the tunnel after he did it. Um, and then when we asked him about it, he just was like, I knew it was my time to go, so kiss him goodbye. <laughs> kiss him goodbye. I personally love that. I, I think that, and I mentioned it earlier and last week, that I just, like, Cam just adds that extra. A lot. Some people complain because you, you obviously don't want ejections uh, and you don't want penalties, and sometimes those those kind of type of things can be costly. But in, in some situations, it kind of adds – to the game and it adds to your fieriness then bleeds into the rest of the offensive line. And they're like, okay, this guy comes out, 
he's getting ejected. Now let's take it to this next level and play even better. And I think you see that when Cam's on the field. Cam just has that little extra something, and I do feel like when he's out there, it adds to it. But that type of stuff is just hilarious to me, and um, I would, I was round, I was cheering. I was like, get it, Cam. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and as we wrap up the fair and fair injury update, uh, I do want to look ahead to the Titans and a storyline for us to watch there, mm-hmm. especially as we get ready to go around the NFL. Will Levis uh, left the game against the Texans. Ryan Tannehill entered stage right um, as Will Levis was strip-sacked and then knocked out of the game. I haven't seen exactly, I'm going to pull it up right now, exactly what this latest injury it's was. It's a foot injury. Okay, so, so it's he started with an foot. ankle injury, then he was carted off with a foot injury. Right. So Mike Mike Vrabel said today that we'll see on if it'll be Levis or Tannehill. I think that's gamesmanship. Um, it'll be curious to see, though, who they do end up going with because – it could be Ryan Tannehill's last game as a Tennessee Titan, mm-hmm. but also, do you really want to risk furthering an injury to Will Levis, even though you also know it's your final game of the season? Yeah, I think that storyline will be interesting because it feels like it could go a lot of different ways, and it could be that we don't know until Sunday at 11.30 when the inactives yeah. come out as to what's happening, because yeah, if you're Mike Rabel, you're not going to, I think, show your hand, even though... It doesn't really matter. I mean, the Jaguars have faced Ryan Tannehill enough, mm-hmm. and they've got now enough tape on Levis that they'll be prepared for both because, obviously, even if Levis starts, he still may not be able to finish the so game, again, and, yeah. and then there's Tannehill. Uh, all right, Taylor, as we go around the NFL, I saw this stat, and I thought mm-hmm. it was fantastic. Oh, historic week 18 ahead for the NFL. 20 teams are still in contention contention for a trip to the Super Bowl, which ties for the most with one week remaining in the last 41 years, a record – 22 in 1982. But basically, 20 teams right now can say that they could win the Super Bowl. They have that hope. (laughs) Obviously, there's teams and fan bases that don't actually think that. I'm sure the Eagles would put themselves in that category. Uh, A year ago, thought they would win it all. And probably this year right now, saying not that. But either way, what you got for us? Yeah, I I mean, I think that is just the such a – that's the epitome of what this season has been, I think. Because for every team, we've seen – Buffalo start the season kind of slow where people were like, what's going on with Buffalo? And then they get hot. We've seen Philly and Miami start hot and have kind of, you know, bumps along the way. I think there's two teams. Well, maybe even one, honestly. Maybe Baltimore is the only team that I feel like consistently has played at a higher level all season long. Because I was about to say San Francisco, but they lost three straight at Mm -hmm. one point. And so it's interesting. I think it just shows how crazy this season has been. There's been a lot of upsets there's been a lot of blowouts it's been like one thing or another I feel like each week to week and you don't know what to expect obviously the the Jaguars looking ahead you want to win you want to beat the Titans you can still make it into the playoffs without that Uh, a couple things have to help you along but you win you're in and that's obviously the ideal situation so I'll go ahead and take a look at as I've done the last few weeks of what the what we've learned from the teams, and I'm going to take a look at Tennessee first because I think, obviously, this week with that matchup uh, is very helpful. So the the first line of this one just says, the team is ready for the offseason. And I, I feel like how many we know that feeling of just being like, get us out of here at this point. It's done. But they said playing out, um, playing out the string is not in the Titans culture under Mike, Mike Vrabel as the franchise was playoff eligible every week of the regular season under Vrabel until a few weeks ago. Tennessee was lifeless on Sunday, scoring three points and generating 170 yards of offense. Will Levis was knocked out of the game. Ryan Tannehill couldn't get the more than three points despite going 16 of 20 for 168 yards. The Titans went one of 12 on third downs and averaged two and a half yards per carry. Tennessee just didn't look into look into it on Sunday, especially after Levis out. 
my question for you, do you think that that will change just because of this being a matchup where they could potentially keep Jacksonville out and that's what Jacksonville did to them last year? I or think, is it done? I, I think Mike Vrabel has a ton of pride. Um, and I think that that could certainly carry over. Uh, I would think Arden Key, uh, mm-hmm. yes, the one who built the city. I know he's got some emotions, I'm sure, that he wants to let out some frustration. Don't forget, the Jaguars kept the Colts out of the playoffs back in 2021 with a meaningless third victory of the season. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, they still picked number one overall in that <laughs> April's draft. Um, so there's definitely a school of thought to believe it. But as I noted to Taylor, uh, Mike Vrabel went on that impassioned speech, and the line on my bookie slid to from three and a half to a five and a half point favorite for your Jacksonville Jaguars. Look, I think individually these players would love to get the heck out of Nashville for some of them and go on vacation. But collectively, you are going to look at each other and go, look, as long as we win this game, we knock our rivals, our hated rivals, potentially out of the postseason. There would be no better feeling to go into the offseason than having that because they don't care that the team itself doesn't care about the draft pick. Fans, of course, care about the draft pick, but the team doesn't care. A lot of them won't be back. So I think Mike Rabel will do a great job motivating them, and they'll have some fight. The question is, how does the first, what, two quarters, I suppose, first half yeah. go? Because if the Jaguars have a decent lead in the first half, then I think it's it's smooth sailing. Okay. Yeah. But I think it'll be close enough in the first half that it'll be a battle. Yeah. And uh, I think that a lot of people are kind of looking at it that way because we've seen teams. We saw last year the Texans do it. That's how the Bears ended up getting the number one pick because the Texans had absolutely nothing to play for. And Lovey was like, go win this game. They did. And obviously that shifted a lot of things. They ended up getting the quarterback they probably wanted <laughs> We're meant to get. <laughs> yeah. But so let's look at Houston just because obviously the the divisional opponent with that, but also – Houston and Colts playing, Houston coming off a win. We just mentioned that. And Houston Colts, whoever wins that game, if the Jags happen to lose, it kind of it, that affects a lot of things moving forward. So what they're saying about Houston, uh, C.J. Stroud set up, uh, with, set up the win, win and end scenario. The Texans survived the two-week Stroud missed with a concussion, going one and one in those starts. Fortunately, the Colts and Jags weren't able to pull away from Houston, setting up the winner-take-all game with the Colts for a playoff spot. The Texans are a better team with Stroud under center as he went 24-32, 213 yards and a touchdown in his first game back, dismantling the Titans. Uh, they needed the comeback and beat an overtime with Stroud. Other teams let the Texans hang around and may miss the playoff as a result with Stroud back, which I think when you look at this too, the Jaguars, because C.J. Stroud missed a couple games with that concussion, obviously the Colts had a little bit. They've lost a couple too. And so the Jacks had an opportunity. That's what I think is most frustrating about losing those four straight is because they did have the opportunity to pull away during that time, and they just couldn't do it. Yes. Tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining about having to go to Nashville this yeah. weekend, but also it was like, well, we, we were hoping that, uh, <laughs> you know, this would be a game that C.J. Beathard was playing just because there was a reason to rest the starters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a week-to-week lead. It's the National Football League. And, yeah. look, even everybody who I see you on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures, the YouTube chat all day today about they played the Panthers. That's basically a JV team. Coach Campo sat here. From 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock, and he was on the Campo and Joe podcast, too, and he said, you cannot say that in the National Football League. Yes, there are bad teams, but at the same time, they're still better than any college outfit, any, you know, okay, Alabama, Georgia fans, I know you're all going to get mad. Like, that's listen, they're still a good football team. They're still a football team. 
Hey, they the went toe to toe with the Packers the week before. They hung thirty and, on that Packers right, team. But that the Packers the defense is terrible, terrible, yeah. like worse than the league. Terrible Sorry, right Vikings. Now. <laughs> but um, I mean, their offense is playing well. That's why they could also score thirty three or whatever it was. But the Jags went to Tampa and looked atrocious against the Bucks. The Bucks look like okay. This team has finally found something. And then the Bucks are an egg. terrible yeah. lot the next week. I so I I think it's really hard to just Never. go, well, the only reason the Jaguars won is because they played the Panthers. Yeah. No, that's not necessarily true. It could have been a better team and maybe the Jaguars right. would have won. It just so happened to be that it was a two-win team and thank you yes. for not being a very good team because we needed that. We'll gladly Colts. emotionally take it. Um, but to, real quick right. to your point about the Colts and the Texans, Taylor, um, uh, speaking of betting lines, the Colts opened as a one-point favorite on my bookie, mm-hmm. and they are the home team. Yeah. So do with that information what you will. Uh, the Texans have now slid to a one-point favorite in Saturday night's contest, which is fascinating. And again, this is an estimated injury report, and it's the first day of the week. Uh, the Texans have their entire starting defensive line and Laramie Tunsil listed as did not practice today. My goodness. Not great. Yeah. Not great getting ready for that one. But normally this is a day, Tuesday's a day, where normally they don't have practice, players are off. Mm-hmm. And it's all the schedule is all shifted because they play on Saturday. The Texans and Colts do so. I I don't take that much with that. Plus, at this point in the season, I'm sure everybody needs rest. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, we'll follow that as the week goes along. Which I'll read uh, Indies real quick before we hit break. So that there says first playoff test was a, su- a success. The Colts essentially played a playoff game with the Raiders Sunday, needing a win to set up for a win and end for Week 18 against the Texans. If the Raiders won. The Colts were in danger of being eliminated from the postseason this last weekend instead of entering the final week as the number seven seed in the conference with the playoff spot in division title at stake. Sunday wasn't the prettiest performance, but the Colts built a 14-3 lead and kept it by scoring on all three possessions in the second half, not counting at the end of the game. At this point, wins are all that matter. And that's where they're in. Gardner Minshew, all the credit goes to the work that he put in the offseason and the fact that when AR went down, he was ready to step in and he's done a Pretty good job. Yeah. There is a world in which Gardner Minshew wins 10 games. Yes. And you can say Anthony Richardson started the season, but in all but one of those games, which I believe was a loss, Gardner Minshew entered those yeah. first five games before AR was shut down for the year. Yeah. yeah. And look, I mean, obviously it's not just Gardner Minshew. The, the Colts have a much better team than they did, I think, a season ago. But look, Matt Ryan was there. He couldn't do this. Yeah. And, and Gardner Minshew has found a way. I think the Texans win that game, even mm-hmm. though it's in Indianapolis. I do, too. I think they're a better football team, so I think the Texans make the playoffs, which is astounding to yeah. think of where they came from. I know. Like, you talked about picking C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, yeah. so early in the draft, and then to be here with a first-year head coach and D'Amico Ryans. But I think they've earned it. Now, yeah. if the Colts win, and I'm wrong— they obviously earned it too yeah. to get, like you said, to ten wins. I mean, I thought the Colts would win like three games this season. Mm-hmm. I, thought I think they a were lot of people bad. were on that same page for Colts and Houston. I had the yeah, they were in the same seven. Boat. I mean, yeah. this is what they've been able to do. I mean, yeah, I also man. wasn't much of a believer in C.J. Stroud. He proved me and so many others wrong. Um, so hey, credit to him. I had a feeling D'Amico Ryan's that was yeah. going to be a pretty good coach given uh, where he was coming from, yeah. and he was headed home to Houston where he played. Yeah, I like that. That one made sense to me. Um, but I think the synergy between Steichen and Gardner right now is off the charts. Definitely. And it's a credit to him who I had questions about him yeah. as a head coach. There's plenty of people questioning the other former Philadelphia Eagles coordinator who's a head coach in Arizona. But it worked in Indy. Yeah. Real quick, just uh, we talked about the Colts playing the Raiders. If you want to talk about a roller coaster of a season, the Raiders. Yeah, the Raiders I mean, when you sure. just go through even their last four games, they lose 3 nothing to the Vikings, win 63-21 against the Charters, then upset the Chiefs at home at Arrowhead, then 
obviously they play the Colts, end up losing by three to the Colts. And it's just been this most back and forth, unpredictable team you could ever imagine. And they've had interim coaches like what, two out of the last three years, three yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's another thing in and of itself. And they have Jimmy Garoppolo healthy sitting on the bench. Like, yeah. It's wild there. Uh, yeah. I hope Antonio Pierce gets the full time job. And I think I think Rich Passaccia should have. The, yeah. The yeah. interim coach that was before him. Yeah. So Rich Passaccia walks so Antonio Pierce could run. And uh, it's OK. He can he can pay the players now, uh, unlike in college. All right. We've got more NFL to get to. We've also got a giveaway. So keep it right here on 10 to next on only 2.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Well, the holidays may be over, but that doesn't mean that we're not still in a giving mood. If you want to go to AEW Dynamite Rampage live at Daly's Place on January 10th, starts at 7.30, be caller number three right now at 641-1010, caller number three, 641-1010, you will win the pair of tickets Again, that comes up January 10th at 7.30. All right, I'm sure you guys on Primetime talked all about this last week, Mia, uh, but certainly just want to make sure that people know that Helmets and Heels is fully behind Fred Taylor getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, Who said we weren't? Nobody. I'm just saying we haven't talked about it yet. I'm sure you talked about it. Yes. But we, this show has not talked about it, and I just want to make sure that people understand that is something that absolutely has to happen. I don't know if it'll happen this year. He's the only running back, though, in this class, so that certainly bodes well. I do think that if people just, if they've never watched his highlights before, sit down and watch them, and after an hour, you will be 100% convinced that he yeah. belongs in, and I really hope it does happen this year because I can only imagine, I don't have that much patience as a human being to begin with, I can only imagine what these guys have to go through year after year of waiting, waiting. and hoping and now that it takes like a full week for them to find out and all that stuff. But he's one of the 15 semifinalists. And I really hope this is the year, if not the next year. Yeah. And I think that Fred has a very level head about this system. Um, maybe perhaps a little, you know, I don't want to say pessimistic, but just he's grounded in reality. I mean, he looked at the process that Tony Baselli went through to mm-hmm. finally make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and I think that that's kind of given him some perspective, um, even if I, I think that. He should be more optimistic because the the truth of the matter is is that right now it's another two years until Frank Gore becomes eligible. Um, I think there's obviously you know there's something to be said about Frank Gore being the third all time leading rusher in the NFL. Was he ever the greatest per se? I'm not sure, but I think he's going to get into the Hall of Fame based on that. Fred's the only other rusher in the top 20 all time that's not in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. That'll help him, I think, especially when the conversation about Frank Gore comes around if Fred is not in at that juncture. And I think there is a logjam at some other positions. But even in an age in which the running back position has been devalued on the field, mm-hmm. I think that Fred having the Pivot podcast, the highlights constantly circulating, yeah. so many players that grew up watching him talking about it, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame committee – doing a better job of speaking with those players that played against these guys has helped the process be less about what your resume says and more Mm -hmm. about who were you on the field. Yeah. Hayes always has this line. uh, If you, can you, here's the question. Can you tell the story of the NFL without the player? And I think for the Jaguars, you cannot tell the story or the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars without Fred Taylor. Yeah. And the Jaguars certainly have a prominent role in the history of the NFL through the years that he was a member of this team. For me, I, obviously growing up as a Florida fan and, and then going to Florida and then obviously being a Jaguars fan, for me there's no other player that's ever played for the Jags that I've loved as much as yeah. Fred Taylor. 
And it obviously helps because of how good he really was as well. I only own one jersey. I've only ever owned, unlike you, Taylor, yeah. I have one jersey in my life. It's a number 28 Jaguars jersey. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because of all the things I just said, Florida being a Jags fan. It's just the way that he played football. Yeah. I mean, the physicality, the speed at his size. Like it, There's no one else, I feel like, that is as deserving as him as far as running backs go in the near future. So, And again, there won't be many more running backs that get in the Hall of Fame, to Mia's point. And that's what I was about to say, because we talk about it, how much that position is not valued to probably the level that a lot of us think they should anymore, but they were at that point in time. Uh, uh, Offenses, the running backs made a lot of offenses during that period of time, and it was probably towards the end of when it was that. So if you're talking about, and you, Mia just mentioned, all of the other names surrounding him in the top 20 that are all in it, and there's this one glaring like, hey, I'm here too, that's because he was one of those final ones who really made the true impact in the running back position. And not saying they don't now, but are valued to what they should be valued to. Um, because we, I do feel like that's lost a little bit, a little bit now. We see that in contracts. We see that in them just renewing and drafting uh, running backs every year and kind of pushing their old ones aside. You didn't see that during that period of time when you had somebody like Fred Taylor. He was your guy, and your offense ran a lot through that, through that position. And we saw it. We saw it here consistently. And I think that you, you mentioned too. And it's one of the things that Tony, uh, that Baselli said also, where. You can go and try to find all of the different like recognitions and awards and stuff, but sometimes you just have to go watch the film. And with Fred, it's definitely one of those. Yeah, absolutely. All well said. All right, let's get it to some more NFL. Is Lamar Jackson the NFL MVP? Yes. Are we done? Yes. Having the conversation? Um, I Christian McCaffrey think won't it play. Yeah, in week I would vote. I think Christian McCaffrey, but I okay. think it's hard to argue against Lamar being right there with him. I just think if we want to talk about teams that are peaking at the right time. To me, it's the Ravens, and as much as his stats aren't as gaudy as they were in 2019 when he won the Mm -hmm. award, that operation doesn't flow the way it does without him. I think that there's still a conversation for Tyreek Hill, although obviously they've struggled of late. So and he's you know. been injured, and, and you're, you're never going to see a player. I feel like get it when no, it's never going to be a, that number one, number two. I don't think you're ever going to see a wide receiver, unfortunately, win mm-hmm. it in this day of age. It's a quarterback award, and for me, there's no other quarterback that stands out among the rest. Brock Purdy was close. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the 49ers are playing such good football, and and he was a part of that. But what's crazy to me, Christian McCaffrey has never won the league rushing title. Like, we talk about Derrick Henry exists, Lauren. That's the problem. But, I mean, we talk about him, and he's so versatile. He may not be even on a good team, but it doesn't matter. He's always going to win. But he's so versatile that he's going to have more all-purpose yards. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, he's going to catch the ball to the backfield. But still, you would think that run CMC would have had a a rushing title at some point in time. Uh, All right, so the Bills, the Dolphins, Sunday Night Football. It's the winner-take-all battle for the AFC East. Who you got? I got the Bills. Yeah, me too. I think so too. It's hard to not right now. If this was, if they were playing how they were playing seven weeks ago, I'd probably go opposite, honestly. But right now, it just feels like even when they have off games or maybe Josh Allen isn't playing at his highest level, they're st- they're st- they are still able to win football games right now. And that's what is going to take you into the postseason. Trust me, I should be the one picking the Dolphins given Josh Allen single handedly ensured I lost the 1010XL Fantasy Championship oh. over the week. It's fine. Um, Brock Purdy's dem- de- demise the week before allowed me to even make the championship round, so it's fine. Um, but. You do look at those statistical numbers for Josh Allen during this win streak, Mm -hmm. and they're down comparatively to the first 13 weeks of his season, 
which is weird because they were so all over the place as a yeah, team. I think their defense is coming together at the right time. I do think that Joe Brady, yeah. he's back, folks. Yeah. He I just think- is back, and he's leaned into the run game, and that's yeah. opened up some stuff for well, them. Well, Josh doesn't have to do what he was having to do in the beginning of the season. The beginning of the season, everything else kind of looked a little messy, so there were certain situations where he was having to do too much, and because of that, he was – Obviously, having way more yards and all of those things start to calculate. But he was also making more mistakes because he was forcing some things. And he doesn't have to do that now because everything's really starting to click. So the the winner of that game, like I said, they win the AFC East. That determines the two seed in the AFC. Mm. What's crazy is so if the Dolphins were to win and then you've got the winner, like we've already said, of the Texans and Colts. So let's go either Texans or Colts. So the Dolphins would play one of those two teams if the Dolphins win the game. If the Dolphins lose the game... They take on the Chiefs. Slightly different path yeah. to get to the playoffs between taking on either Gardner Minshew and the Colts, CJ Stroud and the Texans, or Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So, I mean, the Dolphins and the Bills, obviously, and the, the Bills, obviously, the same situation. If the Bills win, they get the seventh seed, and if the Bills lose, they get the Chiefs, which I'm all here for Josh Allen v. Patrick Mahomes in, in a, you know, a champion, or not championship, but in a playoff game. Here's the thing, the, the matchup that I'm most fascinated by. If the Colts win Saturday night, Whoever's the two seed is licking their chops so long as the Jaguars take care of business on Sunday. They're mm-hmm. licking their chops. Yeah. You can handle Gardner Minshew so long as you can overcome a pretty good defense because mm-hmm. look at what the Jags did when the Colts came to town. Um, obviously not having the run game that they were supposed to have with Jonathan Taylor as part of that, but mm-hmm. still. If C.J. Stroud has to go to Miami, if C.J. Stroud has to go to Kansas City, I may be tempted to pick the Texans. Because both those teams have had question marks over the last month. And while certainly Stroud will be, you know, coming back, continuing to come back from the concussion, his offensive line has some questions because of injuries. Their defensive line is banged up. I I mean, if there's a chance for an upset, I'm picking the Texans compared to the Colts. No offense to G. I love Gardner. I love, you know, love what he's been able to do. But that's the one for me that I'm like, oh, baby. If he goes down to Miami and they upset the Dolphins, or, I mean, I don't – Personally, I don't think they would win in Buffalo just because I think that matchup doesn't really favor the Texans. But those other two, Kansas City, Miami, yeah, I could see a world in which the Texans upset them. Of course, they have to win in Indianapolis on Saturday. Yeah, I think when you – I'm trying to even remember – we do our picks in the beginning, and I'm trying to go through and be like, did I pick Miami? Because <laughs> I cannot remember. But I feel like I had I to when I start Buffalo. going through as a wild card. I picked them to win the division, but I'm trying to remember if I even had them as a wild card team. But I think I did because I pictured a scenario like this happening when you look at the rest of the AFC. I think that there's just there's just been – there's definitely been some surprises this season. I think the way that the Browns have been able to play late with Flacco has definitely been something because – people had questions because of the way that Deshaun Watson played last season. So they were kind of like, okay, well, is he going to have a rebound year? And they were thinking that the Browns would be successful if he had a rebound year, but he didn't have to. Like, it, It's kind of a weird situation, but their defense has been playing so good. They are able to run the ball. There's so many other things that they're able to do really well. So that's one of the teams to me that kind of surprised me this season. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we are all going to be just completely locked into all of the football this weekend. I mean, yes. that's – that's what this week 18 does feel different than the past. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have the Ravens and, you know, are they going to sit their guys because they already have the number one seed and home field advantage, all that stuff. But they are because they have that week off, do they want to have two consecutive weeks, weeks off? off. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, for the most part, a lot of other games have playoff implications. And I don't feel like we've gone into a lot of week 18s with that. 
there's been a lot more. I feel like, oh, this team, you know, doesn't need to play their starters and that whatnot. But uh, by the way, would you rather play the Texans? If you're the Jaguars, would you rather play the? You don't get these options. I'm just asking. Would you <laughs> rather play the Texans or the Browns? Oh, the Browns. You'd rather play if the Browns than the Texans? Yes. If you're the Jags, would you rather oh, play the Texans? The, the Browns, Browns, undoubtedly. Cleveland's flying way too close to the sun right now. Um, they're at some point or another, our, our boy January Joe is going to revert to a pumpkin. It's just <laughs> the way of backup quarterbacks. I understand he's not really a backup because he did win a Super Bowl. He is a starting quarterback in a different part of his life. Yeah, Ten um, years later. And also, I think if the Jags were to play with a lead, then what does that do to that offense? And in turn, yes, you still have Miles Garrett, and they would, you know, Still present problems. That's what scares me is that that Brown's defensive front. Yeah. I've just watched them beat both of my teams in the last month. So I'm going to go with Browns (laughs) for this one because just what they're able to do. And I don't think either time Flacco played amazing. He wasn't some phenomenal quarterback. He made mistakes in both games, but the defense is so good that they're able to overcome that. And because they can rely on their run defense so much. But just what I've seen this last four or five weeks from them, it's hard to not think that they'd be able to continue that into and at least have Flacco do just enough. Yeah, offensively. Yeah, I think it's a like I said, you don't get to pick if you're the four seed. You're playing the Browns. That's that's locked in. It's not like they're like check yet check which one you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doug, you, we let you pick when your bye week was. Now, who would you like as your opponent in the uh, in the MVP in the playoffs? All right, when we come back, we've got some highlights for you. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyra Outlet on Ten Ten X on any two point five FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. We're about to get to our highlights, but I wanted to ask the three of you who are all on social media all the time. This story flew under the radar for me from last night's Sugar Bowl, so I wanted to see if y'all knew this. Did you know that ESPN had to apologize for a live shot that they yes. aired last night? Yes. I did not. Okay. So... They pan to Bourbon Street mm-hmm. as they do. You know, a lot of times they'll show the river here, St. John's River, if it's a game in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, no longer the landing. Yeah. <laughs> they finally got that right, I think. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so, of course, you're in New Orleans, the Sugar Bowl, so you're going to show Bourbon Street. Well, one woman decided to look the camera in the eye, pull down her shirt, oh. and then pull it back up, but not in time for the cameras, cameras to show it live. <laughs> so I must not have been watching that closely yeah. at that point in time. I was watching the game, but I did not see that. And so then today I saw that ESPN had to apologize for the woman flashing the camera. I feel like you should know that's what you're going to see if you've panned over purpose. That's what I was kind of thinking, too, is they needed more of almost like a drone so that that way nobody could really. And maybe that's not allowed. See that you're close and you're like, oh, camera. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Like. At some point, yes, people who have been on Bourbon Street have enjoyed themselves quite a bit. (laughs) And also, New Orleans is known for, during the parades, you flash people to get the beads. Yeah. Whether it's Mardi Gras and Patrick's Day. Yes. I'm not surprised the woman flashed the camera. Well, it looked to me like she was flashing the people up above on the balcony, and then the camera just so happened to be rolling (laughs) past at that moment. That was at least from what I could see. Yeah, either way, I'm sure her parents are proud (laughs) (laughs) once they saw that. All right, let's get to this week's highlights. Justin Fields plays Houdini escaping multiple sacks for a big gain and first down in Bears win over Falcons. Third down, eight to go. 
Fields pressured immediately. Athleticism escapes that one. Fields, are you kidding me? Has the first down and scoops out of bounds. The man is a magician. Bud Dupree, top of the screen, comes free. And Fields shrugs him off. Then he gets out of David Onyemata. He's 320 pounds. And Justin Fields shrugs these guys off. He is a bad, bad man when he's making plays like that. Michael Penix dominates Texas, including wild touchdown to Jalen Polk as Washington heads to national championship. Second down and 10. They're in field goal range. Pressure. He stepped away from it. Fires, and it is caught. Oh, the deflection. Jalen Polk, the touchdown off the hands of Malik Muhammad. And this is just a dart. It's really well defended initially. I mean, Muhammad almost gets two hands on the ball. The ball is just out in front of him. Polk never loses sight of where the ball is at. It's tipped up, and he reels it in. Great poise and execution. Michigan running back Blake Corum's touchdown in overtime sends Michigan to the national championship over Alabama. Blocked up and then gets big yards. Three Michigan tight ends in the ballgame. They hand it to Corum again and makes the cut. First down. Spoonstick scores! Blake Corum puts Michigan on top in overtime! Those are this week's Helmets and Heels highlights. Uh, I'm going to end with you, Taylor, because that's a larger discussion about Justin Fields that I know you had a little bit on the Frangie show earlier. Uh, Mia, you chose Michael Penix. Yes. That was fun. elite. If you had had a Heisman vote this year, would you have chosen Penix over Jaden Daniels? No, I would not. Um, you would have chosen Bo Nix over both. Of them, no, if right? Bo Nix had won, if, okay. if Oregon had won the Pac-12 title, okay. I would have picked Bo Nix. No question about it. No, I would have picked Jaden Daniels. And then I, I think the Michael Penix, Michael Penix coming in second was validated last night. I'm not so sure I would have put him as my second vote. I probably would have put Bo Nix because of all the records he broke out there. Um, but clearly, all those tight games that Washington was playing in November and in October. Uh, it helped them last night, mm-hmm. and I understand it got a little hairy there at the end, but I, for a quarterback who started his career at Indiana, um, was once upon a time almost a Florida State Seminole, but Willie Taggart said no thanks, um, and a couple other places he could have been, to have started in Indiana, two significant leg injuries, four season-ending injuries, and to have been as dialed in as he was last night in that moment, it was, I mean, as a sports fan, it was awesome to watch. Yeah. It was fun, and that specific play was wild. That just shows athleticism there, too, so much because the ball's tipped. It's kind of floating in the air. At that point, a lot of people would lose that ball. Never for a second did you feel like he was searching for it at all. It was the whole time his eyes were on that ball. Yeah, to me, I walked away from last night's game going, like you said, holy cow, Michael Penix Jr. I mean, this cat has every skill set that you Mm -hmm. want in a quarterback. But also, I walked away going, his receivers are really Good. talented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the catches that they made while covered by the Texas guys, I was very impressed with mm-hmm. their their entire offense. And 19 catches on 20 targets between the top three. Yeah. That's yeah. That's Patrick Mahomes is probably watching ball. that salivating. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. Like, and if my NFL that. receivers can't catch the ball like these guys can. So that was impressive. And obviously, it sets up my highlight was Blake Corum able to run the football. I thought Michigan started off a little bit surprising by trying to throw and have having J.J. McCarthy mm-hmm. put try to do a little too much, put the game on his back, and then once they started to run the football, it was like, okay, they started to settle in. Yeah. When you've got a guy as talented as Blake Corum, certainly that's who your offense should go through. And, and in the end, 
Look, Michigan did what I think a lot of us thought they wouldn't do, uh, and that is upset, or I guess they were favored, but beat Nick Saban in, in the Crimson Tide. And look, it wasn't Nick Saban's best team. We all mm-hmm. know that. The offensive line, while they kept talking about, oh, this is one of the biggest ones, bigger than some NFL offensive yeah. lines, just because you're big doesn't mean you're good. good yeah. And I'm sorry, Seth McLaughlin, like I, I'm sure that it, he's being talked about all throughout at the state of Alabama today and, and has been throughout the season. Some of those snaps were on you. It, it's mm-hmm. not on Jalen Milrow, and so I'm sure there's a chemistry that needs to be developed and all that, but uh, but it's unfortunate for Alabama that that's the way the game went, and, and I thought that final play call in overtime wasn't a very good one, even though Tommy Reese certainly defended it and Nick Saban defended him, but to have Jalen Milrow just run up the gut yeah. when that hasn't really been your game plan throughout most of the game, yes, at times Milrow maybe would run. Maybe that's why I throw him off. You thought you it, were throwing them maybe, off, but... Yeah, and I saw you know uh, Michigan be like, yeah, we knew what they were going to do. Well, I wouldn't start <laughs> saying that based <laughs> off of how your season has come with the right exactly no from what matt hayes broke down earlier it was an rpo mm-hmm. you see the running back come out into the flat and if those two wide receivers block it's an easy catch that's cross, right in the flat hand, easily right it would have been easy um it's it's unfortunate because i felt like Jalen milrow had better vision than to just run up the gut but i think mm-hmm. he panicked yeah and it's just, I don't know. It's yeah, the whole series was weird because the timeout, timeout and all that stuff. Yeah. And and that's when I think the crowd starts to affect you a little yeah. bit too, even though it's, you know, at a neutral site. But still, over overall, like I said, it wasn't Nick Saban's best team. And the mm-hmm. fact that he got to that point in the season after the struggles earlier in the season, I yeah. think that's a testament to his coaching. And I saw that his wife said they were going to watch Netflix mm-hmm. and not uh, the following game with Washington and <laughs> Texas, which I think is smart for your own mental health. Like, mm-hmm. don't watch more football yeah. after you lose a game like that. All right, Taylor, let's get to Justin Fields. <laughs> I feel like if you if I were to poll Bears fans, they mm-hmm. would, what, 75% or higher than that all want to keep Justin Fields. Yeah. The, from everything that I've seen, which there's been multiple polls, whether that's NBC, uh, Chicago, okay. both the stations in Chicago, uh, radio stations, have all put out these this poll. And this is probably three, four weeks ago. They really started pushing them like, OK, let's make it's time to start making this decision and really thinking about it. I mean, and it's a heavy 70 to 75 percent that want to keep him. And um, and it goes even beyond that, like the media there, too, is pretty much all on all on that side, too. There's a couple outliers of guys that are just like I haven't seen quite enough to be convinced. And they are also guys who are just very, very high on Caleb Williams. And I think that's part of it, too. I think if this was Trevor Lawrence, maybe how we talked about Trevor that year before, if the Bears had the number one pick and it was Trevor Lawrence coming out, it may be a little bit of a different situation. But I think after this season, a lot of people kind of look at Caleb and see the same flaws that Justin has had in certain areas of the game. And they're also look at maybe the season wasn't as high. Maybe if this was last year too, Caleb Williams coming out of the way, obviously Heisman and all of those things that were going on. But there's a lot, I mean, the bears are in a very, very good situation because you're either going to get potentially, obviously a new quarterback who people are very high on. And some people say his ceiling's very, very high. And so you get to, and you're putting him in a really, really good situation now too. That's one difference with Justin. Justin had nothing when he came to the bears and whoever comes next is going to be put behind a way better offensive line. The defense is one of the best in the league right now. You have DJ Moore. They'll probably add another wide receiver. Komet's been playing, has a career year this year. So it'll be a way better situation for whoever, whoever does come in or if Justin stays, but then Hayes mentioned it too, and it's something I've talked about on my podcast. So you also have the option of 
trading or whether you trade back to maybe four or five and still get one of the wide receivers you like, keep Justin, but trade one of the, or I mean, or draft one of the quarterbacks that would go a little later, maybe a Penix, maybe a Jaden Daniels, someone like that, that maybe you can get a little later in the draft and not spend such high draft capital on. And then you have an option if things don't start to pan out or kind of fall finally fully into place that you want. So there's just a lot of options and you have the number one pick for not your own, and that's kind of nice. You have the potential to end the season, knocking the Packers out of the playoffs, winning eight games, and then having the number one pick. Do the Bears fans that want to keep Justin Fields believe he can be Lamar Jackson? Um, I, I think that... More hurts. Yeah. I, I think because a lot of them, um, especially this season, he's definitely thrown the ball way more, and that's something that you've seen a ton of improvement on. The last two seasons, our pass protection was so bad that you just didn't... I mean, when you look at the numbers, he threw the ball half the amount of times as pretty much every other quarterback in the league last year. And this year, that's gotten uh, it's gotten even better, and he missed four games, and he's still right there with some other guys when you're talking about total yardage and touchdowns and not turning the ball over a ton. Um, he does have a fumble problem, which we've talked about here with Trevor, too, but I, I think there are fixable things that they're seeing. But I do think the comparison is more Jalen Hurts that a lot of them are seeing. For me, it just goes to this Jeremy Fowler report. Like, take the football out of it. You can get a second or a third round pick for Justin Fields. Or, if you put that number one pick on the market, you could get more, even from a team in the top five, than what the Bears got in the Bryce Young number one overall pick deal, which was DJ Moore, a bona fide number one wide receiver, a first round pick this year, a second, or last year, yeah, a second round pick last year, a first round pick this year, and a second round pick next year. Yeah. And they're saying more than that. And more than that. So we're talking multiple first-round picks. You would, in theory, say we already have our quarterback. Now we can build around him. And then you look at a scenario in which the Bears try to replicate what Philadelphia has done with Jalen Hurts, where Uh they've surrounded him with elite players. Not that he's not a top-ten quarterback, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And they've found success. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, when you look at it, when you even compare it to what Jacksonville went through – and the Bears are going through that realization this year. Of they they love Darnell Mooney. Mooney was – we stood behind Darnell Mooney the last few years and was like, no, he can be the guy. Then you get someone like DJ Moore, and you realize how massively different the gap is between that. And then it's kind of realization of like, oh, Darnell Mooney was our wide receiver one the last two years, and you thought that was okay. And then you go to someone like DJ Moore who just – is a whole different level. And the Jags kind of went through that with, like, DJ Chark, for example. People love DJ Chark, and you were kind of confident. You're like, no, he can be a guy. And then you get someone like Christian Kirk who can come in here and really make plays consistently. And you see there's just a next tier that sometimes you get blinded a little bit because you do fall, you do see good moments from guys, and you do kind of fall in love with their personality and other things like that. And so I think when the when most fans are looking at it, you're like, okay, you already have DJ Moore and Komet who are having career seasons, as I mentioned. You add another guy, you add a Marvin Harrison, you add a Neighbors, a Dunze. How do you say his name? Oh, the one, Adunze, a, yep. Adunze. Mm-hmm. Um, That A lot of people last night were like, oh, well, this guy's really good too. So there's so many options, and I think that's the thing that most people are looking at is you have somebody who I think can play at a high level. Now just fix the few gaps you have in between as center is a big one and add another pass rusher, and they can be – truly competitive and it's beyond Bears fans saying that guys Orlovsky has been saying it Um, a lot of guys that kind of break down film are kind of on that level now too and that's the thing it's so hard to evaluate a quarterback if the protection is terrible yeah and for everyone saying like oh you know Trevor's had a bad season or at least games where he's had you know just too many interceptions or bad decisions with the football that fumbling 
like, yes, that is all true. But he also has not had the kind of time that he yeah. needs. And, and it's really hard to make a decision about a quarterback. Like you said, A, they don't have the weapons. But B, they don't have a good offensive yeah. line. And how do you know if it's time to walk away and you don't want the quarterback to be, Justin Fields, to be this really good quarterback in yeah. the future and you traded him away because, because you didn't give him what could make him successful. Exactly, and a good offensive coordinator and, and all of those things. And, and the line, I think, is a big thing because we've talked about that a ton here, obviously, the last four weeks. You see how drastically Trevor has looked different in moments when he doesn't have protection and time to throw the ball. Justin Fields has been sacked 91 times in two seasons. It's absolutely insane. And, yes, some are on him because he does kind of scramble and sure. run around. And the, that's a young quarterback, it, too. Yeah, and one it, I kind of posted it last week. 26 of the sacks from one of the guys that kind of tallies him of the – 91 are on Justin. The rest are on his offensive line. And that still leaves 65 sacks, which is still seventh highest in the league, not taking away other guys like Daniel Jones, who do the same, does the same exact thing. Uh, Russell Wilson does the same exact thing. So it's just, it, it's been really hard to fully evaluate because it hasn't all been there to be able to do that. But on the flip side, if the evaluators believe Caleb Williams, Williams is, the guy, is yeah. Patrick Mahomes or the like, then they're going to go in that direction and, and not look back. And Which so, I won't cry about next year if if it ends up working out. What will suck is if it's not. If mm-hmm. it's Bryce Young we're looking at at certain, because that's what people were telling us to do last year was trade Justin and get Bryce Young, and I just think that would have been terrible. Yeah, and I do feel like there will be like almost like a send-off for Justin in Chicago. Oh, yeah. People love him. They'll have a parade yeah. just for people him. People love him. I can understand that because you know, he's meant a lot to the franchise as they try and turn it around. All right, we've got one segment to go here on Hamilton Heels, driven by Tarot on 10 to next 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. We've been so chock full of football, we haven't even talked about how... Everyone's holidays were. Oh, yeah. yes. Christmas, New Year's, everything go well? Everything went well. Yeah. I, um, nothing. So Christmas, I had to switch plans a little bit just because my uh, my grandparents ended up both getting the flu. And so normally I go down to spend the holidays with them. But because of that, I went over to my brother's house instead. But it was nice because I got to meet my new nephew. Um, it was the first time because uh, obviously they're being a little careful with everybody in the world. I feel like has been sick recently, so they're a little extra careful. So he just had turned like a month old, and I finally got to meet him, but so tiny and so cute. And then New Year's, nothing crazy. Obviously, a lot of football, which I feel like is fun with that weekend because there is so much football. And with it, the New Year's Eve being on Sunday this year, I feel like it added a little extra. I was like, oh, yes, I get to watch football all day and then, like, go hang out with my friends at night. This is great. So it was good, though. Well, good. Uh, no issues on the flights on flights back to New Jersey. Um, to your point about the, uh, the, the cold or whatever the bug is that's going around, uh, Lauren, I feel like you would appreciate that I landed the Friday before Christmas up in New Jersey, and I said to my parents, oh, my brother and sister must be out, and uh, they said, no, they're both fighting a bug, and uh, hopefully you'll be okay, and I was like, yeah, I, I hope so. Kevin just got over it, so hopefully we'll be okay, and uh, I felt fine Saturday, Sunday, and I just kept banging my chest and telling everybody, Get your tonsils removed, folks. If you get your tonsils removed, you won't get sick. Uh, and then I woke up on Christmas Day and had a sore throat and felt uh, feverish and achy and all that good stuff. But we rallied uh, just that nice little five, six-day bug that I think is going around right now. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it does seem like it, it's like the whole six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. You, with, If you talk to, like, six people, at least one of them yeah. is going to be sick. 
Well, and it doesn't also help, like, this time of year for us, our weather is so up All and down. The place. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like you'll have 75 degrees and then it drops the next day to 30 and you're like, okay, well, it's kind of hard to keep up with things. Uh, you don't know how to really dress when you're going out because when you leave in the morning, it's freezing, but by the afternoon, it's warm enough to be okay. And that's when I think so many people here struggle with getting sick around this time because of that. Yeah, that and there's so many more gatherings. Mm, And I feel like that's one thing we did learn from the pandemic is like, I mean, I don't think we have to worry so much about it anymore. But once you put put a bunch of people together, especially people who have been on airplanes too, like somebody's going to get something and you just hope that it's nothing too bad. Uh, Christmas for us was relaxing and enjoyable uh, and everything was here in town. So no traveling for us. And then New Year's Eve was the, you know, the typical fireworks upon fireworks yeah. upon fireworks uh so gave the dog some medicine that's what i was about to say how yep. he he i think he's getting better i mean he won't go outside for like the entire time obviously that that's happening but i feel like he relaxed a little bit mm-hmm. once he got the medicine and so he was at least able to sleep in the past he's been just pacing around yeah. the entire time and you like feel bad because he's like panting and correct just going crazy. yeah yes. and even with medicine he's been like that before but this time i feel like maybe he's finally like realizing like all right as long as i don't go outside yeah, these I'm things can't right these things can't hurt me <laughs> But people were also shooting them off yesterday, which I, I was not prepared for. I should have been. Um, but either way, it's it's over, hopefully, now. Yeah, we uh, we had a little scared kitty on, on New Year's Eve. Uh, didn't help that I fell asleep by 10 because, of course, <laughs> hosting the kickoff show earlier that morning and then covering the game was funny because I was like, oh, yeah, like we can go out to somebody's house. And Kevin was like, mm, OK, keep telling yourself that one as we sit on the couch. And then by 945, I was like, oh, now my body is telling yeah. me that like not. Yeah. Not allowed. Not I allowed. have friends that absolutely love New Year's Eve. And then I feel like even long before having a dog and having to worry about that stuff, it's never been probably because I am an early to bed, early to rise yeah. person. Like it's never been something that I've been like, oh, my gosh. I mean, we've had parties and stuff, but I've never been like, oh, I can't wait for, for New, New Year's. Year's Eve. Yeah. yeah. We were but, always at our Pocono house growing up. Like, OK. So it was like we were always isolated to yeah. begin with. But to your point about the fireworks. Mm-hmm. First year living in a, you know, in a community for me, like in a single family home community. Both neighbors, both sides. Oh, we're shooting them off? Both shooting them oh, off. Yeah. And it was just like, we are surrounded. Like, when I was a kid, I feel like the fireworks were fun and there were sparklers and like the little things you throw that make the noises, whatever those mm-hmm. are called. I call them pop rocks. I don't think that's what they're mm-hmm. called, but whatever, those things. And now I feel like it's like legit like mortar shells. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, when did this happen? I mean, obviously it's been a few years now, but, but either way. Uh, all right, Mia, when it comes to college basketball, our friends at Florida Atlantic had a pretty surprising loss the other day. Yeah, listen, FAU also lost to Bryant earlier in oh, the okay. year. So, right. like, when it comes to the Owls, it's going to be all over it's the gonna place. It's going to be up and down. Okay. I mean, the fact that, like, for me, what's more important, because, listen, the loss to Florida Gulf Coast, who, for what it's worth, has looked kind of good in the non-conference portion of their season. So, hey, maybe they go and win the A-Sun, and then that loss doesn't look as bad. Um, what is most impressive for me is that Dusty May said, you know what? We're not just going to rest on our our laurels of a Final Four appearance. We're bringing back our entire starting five. We're going to go out and schedule like there is no tomorrow. I mean, they they faced Texas A&M, who was at at the time number 12. They faced a number 20 Illinois team, lost to them in the final minutes of that game. That was a close game. They go Mm -hmm. on the road. They beat number one Arizona. And Mm so, look, like the truth is that they scheduled so, so hard that I think the committee come March will honor that even if there's some missteps here or there. I think they go and win win the conference. It's, there's no question for me of if they win the um, – I guess it's technically 
Conference USA or the American Athletic? I for, yeah, it's the American, technically. Weird to hear FAU and the American Athletic. I don't know why that doesn't compete with my brain. Um, I think they'll win the American. Um, I mean, maybe Memphis kind of gives them a little bit of a run for their money because Memphis has looked pretty good too. But they've also been all over the place with some big wins and then some low lows. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about the old Owls um, as far as movement on the AP Top 25 front in college basketball. Um, not a whole lot. So many teams were idle last week due to, mm-hmm. due to the Christmas yeah, the and New Year's holiday. Yeah. Um, we got a spicy one going right now. Um, we got UNC now up to number eight in the AP poll. Uh, just just leading Pitt by a bucket up in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, Creighton, who, listen, we're, we're, Creighton in general, put off to the side because I have a story to share there. Um, Creighton is just holding on against a Georgetown team that's been a little feisty but also been all over the place. Um, notoriously lost to Rutgers at Rutgers. And um, Ed Cooley, the former head coach of Providence, now the head coach of Georgetown, mm-hmm. um, pulled up Coach K and started to lecture the student reporters about why they should be asking more questions of him oh, and how to ask that. good questions. Yeah, so much fun. Um, so, yeah, so so currently um, Creighton is barely beating Georgetown, um, which is not a surprise because Creighton has been so all over the place. I'm still probably picking them to make the Elite Eight because when their shooting is on, they're one of the best teams in the country. But I literally felt like I was watching the Jaguars in the first half against the Baltimore Ravens, which had happened three days prior when I watched Creighton mm-hmm. fall to, um, whatchamacallit, why am I blanking on their name? Um, uh, uh, hold on, who is it? Why am I blanking? Uh, not St. John's. Who was it? Either way, a couple weeks ago, I'm going to pull it up right now. So it was last week, since you weren't here last <laughs> Taylor week. Taylor and I are both like, <laughs> yes, Villanova. Villanova. No I okay. wanted to say Seton Hall, but Seton Hall pulled the upset over UConn. There were a lot of upsets, not this past week, the week, week before, before that. So against Villanova, they're up by a bucket, I want to say, with 30 seconds left. And somehow, some way, it was just a comedy of errors on the part of Creighton where they just, like, threw the ball away. They took some hero threes, and Villanova comes down the floor, shoots a three of their own. They force overtime. Um, and I literally just felt like it was exactly like watching the Jaguars not know to spike the ball against the Baltimore Ravens um, in the waning minutes of the first half. And I had seen that script 48 hours earlier. So um, they're very frustrating. They're also in action right now. But, uh, hey, a a lot of those top 25 teams are getting back into the swing of things post-Christmas break. Yeah, the Florida Gators take on the Kentucky Wildcats. They won. Kentucky Wildcats, yeah, on Saturday. That is probably the first game other than maybe early in that season tournament uh, that I cared a lot. But this is the first game that I'll actually be nervous for when it comes to basketball season. We had some uh, listeners on the text line asking about, you know, when do we start talking about basketball? And, like, the obvious answer is once football's over. Mm -hmm. Um, But the truth is you start talking about it once conference play starts. Mm -hmm. So a lot of non-conference fun here and there that we've seen. Again, FAU picking off Arizona was awesome. Um, But once we see the conference play, that's where we can start saying if Florida – is actually a tournament team. Well, and speaking of conference play, next Friday, UNF plays host to JU mm-hmm. in the River oh. City Rumble, the oh, first yeah, edition. So when you talk about, you know, A-Sun play and everything, that opens up uh, before that. But still, that's always a super fun local men's basketball game. All right, let's say hello to Rick Ballou. Now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com careers. Equal opportunity employer. All right, Rick, the Jaguars yes. shut out the Panthers 26 nothing. Are you on the side of fans that say, thank goodness the Jaguars won, or are you upset because it was just the Panthers don't get all excited? No, I think right now anyone's a good win. And, uh, you know, J- J.J. and I were talking about it last week, or um, I guess off air since we weren't actually working together. But 
you could flip the switch, and you know this league is crazy this year. There's really not a dominant team. I mean, I think they win in Tennessee with either one of the two quarterbacks, and they come back here. You host a playoff game. You win that, you're in the exact same position that you were a year ago. So, yeah, they were definitely in a funk going four straight games without winning, but that's just the way it really feels like this league has been all year. I mean, look at San Francisco coming here losing three in a row. Mm -hmm. Three weeks ago, I thought Denver might have been one of the teams to beat. Now, all of a sudden, they've fallen into some difficult Look at the Eagles. The Eagles have lost three or four. Buffalo may be the team to beat right now when it's all said and done, so – uh, you know, you had another big injury with Agnew, and that's league-wide. It's about dealing with the attrition and in a week-to-week league. Feels like Jacksonville is on the cusp of getting even more offensive players back. So I, I still think they have a puncher's chance here to make somewhat of a run. I concur. All right, when it comes to Florida State, they add DJ Uyunglele. What do you think about him at the quarterback? Yeah, again, it's a drive-through, and uh, that hurt him when it came to McKenzie. loyalty and – and things like that with the school. Um, things will change next year with a 12-team college football playoff. So, you know, hopefully for that sake, his last game is in a playoff setting. Um, DJ Uyunglele, I actually asked him to play a lot of football this past year at Oregon State. His completion percentage is still not where you want it. It's just a smidge about 57%. Uh, but he didn't throw the football more downfield, and it looks like he got back the confidence that he lost at Clemson. Mike Norvell and his staff has done a really good job developing talent, particularly transfer portal talent, which already was good, if not great, but making them better. So I think there's a real real chance here for, for him to do some good things. All right. I like the optimism. What's coming up tonight? I'm always optimistic when I come in here after you ladies on Tuesday night. Okay. I'm just looking forward to everything. JJ and I are ready to go. It's going to be an outstanding 2024, and it begins for us in just a couple of minutes. You guys weren't together last week. The band's oh, back together. I know, and it's, we kind of needed it. There was a little bit of friction between us as a <laughs> Things are getting a little bit sideways. So, uh, you know, I think we've made amends, and we'll see how long this relationship can continue. I know Vegas right now has it around mid-June is the breaking point. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like he gave you a Christmas present. You didn't give him one. <laughs> <laughs> Can I leave you with some fun numbers? Uh-oh, what do you got? I, I know, love numbers. I know you're going to love this. Right. Um, so David Tepper oh, finds yeah. 300K. Um, he's worth $20.6 billion. So if someone was worth a million dollars, this would be the equivalent of finding someone $14.56. Uh, Scuba Steve on Twitter took it a step further. If you make $70,000, this fine was the equivalent of a $1.05. <laughs> McDonald's coffee is two twenty nine apparently, in 2024. Are you kidding me? And that's how much he was fined by the National Football League. Uh, I tweeted out earlier today that that um, if you really want to make a statement, ban him from going to a couple of games. Ban or him from the season a, opener. pull a draft pick, considering yeah, or, they don't have that many. Or one of the two. You know, a seventh-round pick or, or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, and for those who say that, Money can't buy you whatever. Here's an example of that. He gets a slap on the wrist by the mm-hmm. NFL. Are Good you stuff. wearing your into the night lotion? Because yeah. it smells great. <laughs> well, he's not. I was glad wondering you, that when And now for something completely in. different. I'm glad you mentioned that, Taylor, because um, I'm going to really be talking an awful lot about that this year. It's, <laughs> it's my ultimate opportunity uh, to uh, to really sell out and, and do it with such a great product because the into the night, not only does it, 
uh, smell great because it's an outstanding fragrance, mm -hmm. but it moisturizes the skin yeah, and it brings awesome. back very important hydration, which is nice. important. We talk so much about it when we drink water, mm -hmm. but your skin needs the it same thing. Especially around this time of year because everyone has their heat on and everything. It's starting to it's get a, dried it, out. Oh, it's a real important time to go to skin cream and I recommend <laughs> Into the Night. <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks, first. All right, Into the Night does come up next with Rick Ballou and J.J. LaSalva. For J.J. LaSalva, for me, O'Brien, for Taylor Dahl, I'm Lauren Brooks. Don't go anywhere. Keep it right here on Tension XL 92.5 FM.